Children's Church. And for those of you who remain, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We are making a study of this chapter here during this Advent season uh, to examine better Christ the Lord and why it is we should come and adore Him. We've looked at Christ as Lord of creation, Christ as the Lord of peace. Today we turn our attention to Christ, the Lord of reconciliation. Here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, this is God's Word. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see what this reconciliation you offer is that we might not settle for counterfeits, that we might know the true, real, untainted reconciliation of God in Christ, that we might become ministers of that message of reconciliation. We ask that you would work this for the glory of Christ, for we ask it in his name. Amen. So I do wonder if we really understand what reconciliation is. Imagine, if you will, Christmas dinner. But not just any Christmas dinner. What might be the worst Christmas dinner you could ever possibly have? Because at that Christmas dinner is invited, not one, not two, but all of the most hurtful, harmful people in your life. Your greatest enemies. Or maybe some of the people for whom you are their greatest enemy, and you have offered them all sorts of hurt and harm. Like, what would that dinner be like? Like Christmas dinner, it's supposed to be a time of joy and peace and happiness and celebration. But I can imagine that the way we would think about such a dinner would be that we would just try to maybe minimize the harm. Like, look, look, like it's, we're all just people it's not that big a deal, it's Christmas, like we should try to think the best of folks, but, but, but can we do that? Can we just minimize some of the things that have been done to us, that have been done by us? Or maybe we would just put on the facade of kindness to this horrible person, these, these people, that, that we would be happier if we never saw them again and never had to do anything with them again. We would just, just put on the smile that like, 
fake it until you make it, sort of get through the dinner, dessert, see you, all right, thank you, this was great, let's never do that again. But we would be kind and nice maybe in the midst of it. Or maybe we would just grit our teeth and endure the misery, just hoping that when we get to the end, we're not worse off than when we started. But can you imagine such a dinner surrounded by such people to be characterized by a reconciliation that would make that time of food and fellowship and feasting the most joyful, glorious experience that you could ever Do our brains even have the capacity to comprehend what it would look like to be truly so deeply reconciled to our greatest enemies and adversaries in this life such that a a meal with them would spark joy and celebration and happiness in the depths of our souls? Do we really understand what reconciliation is. Can we even conceive of such a thing? In these two verses, Christ, who is the Lord of true reconciliation, reveals to us its true wonder. And he does it in three ways that we're going to examine this morning. And the first is this, Christ, the Lord of reconciliation, welcomes you in. Now, this may not seem particularly amazing because we like to think of ourselves as somewhat deserving. I mean, none of us is going to, you know, like, I've been all good all year and I'm only on the good list. Like, none of us are going to be So arrogant as to pretend that we don't have any faults, that we haven't done anything wrong. But by and large, we tend to think of ourselves as belonging in this place, even deserving of fellowship with God. And that might be one of the reasons we don't really understand what reconciliation truly is. Because the sorts of people that God welcomes in, they're sinners, they're outcasts, they're rebels, and it's always been that way. Why did he call the nation of Israel to be his chosen people? God tells them. Because you were the least of the nations. There was nothing about you that was interesting or encouraging or worthy of my attention or affection at all in any way, shape, or form. Thanks. But it was because of his great love. 
And even in this Christmas tide, these songs and hymns that we've sung, who was it that was invited by the angelic host to come and behold the Lord of glory laid in a manger? It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't King Herod. It wasn't the, the Roman prefect. It was these dirty, smelly shepherds who got stuck with third shift duty to keep watch over the flocks by night. It was the outcast. And even in this passage, we're reminded that you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, these are the ones that Christ welcomes in. Those who don't know God, who are so alienated from God and from one another that they run the risk of living as beings who are no longer made in his image. It is so marred and corrupted in them. Those are the ones he calls and invites in. Those who in their minds are even hostile to the things of God, who delight to see the things of God crumble and destruction, and despair. Those who would like nothing more than to see God's plans and purposes come to naught. Those are the people he invites in. Those who are doing evil deeds. He issues the call. And he says, come. Come and be a part of my people. He welcomes the sinner in. See, what reconciliation is, is it, is it opens a renewed relationship with God. And maybe this is why we don't really understand reconciliation, because we, we have such a hard time thinking of, of doing things differently. But we worship a God who says, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing something that if you were to hear it, you wouldn't believe it. If you were to see it, you would think you were dreaming. I am the God who does glorious things. And I open the door for the sinner, for the rebel, for the outcast, for the wicked to be welcomed in to the presence of God. That's the power of the reconciliation he brings to bear. How do you need to think about reconciliation anew? What is it that you need to see differently about what it is that God is doing in this world? We see here that The Lord welcomes in those who were alienated. We live in a culture that is growing more and more lonely and isolated. Where people are more and more comfortable just being at home alone. Where the rates of suicide and despair and depression are rising at disturbingly high rates. 
we still think about reconciliation in terms of, well, when you get things together, then come. But God issues the invitation to those who are far off. He issues the invitation to those who are hostile in mind. We live in a culture that is very, very post-Christian. And in so many ways, they've been vaccinated against the, the, the things of Christ. But that's nothing new. The sinful mind is hostile to God. And it always has been. And yet, God still issues the invitation to those who are doing evil deeds, those who are living lives that they will not write to their mother about in their Christmas letter. Jesus welcomes them in. That's the power of the reconciliation that he works. Christ welcomes sinners in, sinners like you, like me. Have we lost sight of the wonder of what he has done for us? Christ, the Lord of reconciliation, welcomes you in. Christ, the Lord of reconciliation, also showers you With joy. This is the second thing I want us to consider. And we need to wrestle with this because we have a tendency to to view salvation and reconciliation anemically. We, we, We have such a weak and frail view of it. And in part, it's because we don't really know the point. What's the whole goal of this? We think of it in terms of, well, okay, God's going to clear the slate, so to speak. Allow me to, to come in on the periphery. We think of salvation and reconciliation meaning, I, I won't have to go to hell when I die. But there's no joy in that proclamation. It's just sort of like getting relegated to the kids' table at Christmas dinner. You're there, but all the fun stuff seems to be happening somewhere else. But what we read here is that the reconciliation that Christ works completely and utterly changes the whole trajectory of our lives forever. It's not just about getting saved from your sins. It's about a new and renewed relationship with your creator and your redeemer. The whole point of reconciliation we read here, it's in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It's not just that Christ welcomes sinners in. He showers us with the very joy of being in the presence of God 
without anything to regret, without anything to cause tears, without anything to to cause us to avert our eyes. He welcomes us into the presence of God with joy. And he works and he works and he works in us so that anything that is in us, anything that is about us, anything that is, has anything, any connection to us at all is that would keep us from that joy is put to death so that he can present us before God, holy and blameless and above reproach without any fear, without any regret, without any any shame. The whole trajectory of our lives, it's set on a new course with a new goal because the end of reconciliation, the purpose and point of it is that we would truly, from our heart, out of the the renewed essence of who we are in Christ, glorify and enjoy God forever. That we would be in the joy of his presence forever. That's the end of reconciliation. It's not just about get out of hell free card. It's about the delight of knowing your God who made you and who loves you. And that joy that he offers, the joy of his presence, isn't just a joy to experience in the future. He's reconciled us in order to present us holy and blameless. This work is happening now. We are offered a a taste of that joy Presently, even in this world that is marred by sin, that is filled with oppression and darkness and brokenness and misery and regret and fear and dread and shame and guilt and every horrible thing, yet in this darkness, the light of our Lord shines forth that we might know His joy. How is the Lord teaching you that joy now? How is He working in you to present you above reproach before His Father in heaven? Perhaps he's working in affliction. Perhaps he has called you to walk down a hard and treacherous path where the end is uncertain, where the cure might not be possible. But he hasn't abandoned you in that path. He's with you. 
And no matter what that diagnosis may bring, no matter what that verdict may bring, no matter what that trial may result in in your life, you have the unshakable joy that the Lord of reconciliation can and will use that to make you more fit for glory. And there's a joy to hold on to in that, even in the midst of that sorrow, even in the midst of that affliction, even in the midst of that misery, to know that your God is about a work that is so mind-shatteringly glorious that not even this can keep you from the joy of His presence. How is the Lord teaching you that joy now? Maybe He's answering your prayers in ways that surprise you and shock you, and you begin to wonder, like, I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. Why, oh Lord, would you answer my prayers in this way? And he's reminding you. There's great care. There's great kindness. There's great generosity and love for you. Maybe he's giving you the strength to endure Maybe he's teaching you in the stillness, and the silence, this new phase of life, what it means to rely on him more and more. How is the Lord teaching you his joy now? Because the whole point of reconciliation isn't just to welcome you in, it's to welcome you in to his joy. The last thing I want us to see is that Christ, the Lord of reconciliation, embodies this mystery for us. If you're like me, you get uncomfortable talking about reconciliation like this because you know, you know in the back of your mind, in this secret, still place that you you just don't want to say out loud, that reconciliation takes two. And I can't tell you the number of times in life that I've tried to reconcile with someone and it didn't work. Or that somebody tried to reconcile with me and I was too stubborn, too hard-hearted to step into that new joy, that renewed relationship. We're comfortable with Like ghosting people, like, oh, there's a big problem and a rupture in my relationship. Let's just not text or communicate or see one another ever again. And that will make everything better, but it doesn't. Or we avoid the conflict. We we sort of exist around them, but we never bring up the things. And we just sort of put a smile on our face and pretend that everything's okay. And if we don't talk about it, it will go away. It will heal. And it doesn't. We become the people pleaser. We think that if we just sacrifice sacrifice ourselves on the altar of of their needs and we just give them whatever they want and we just, oh, no, let me do this for you. Oh, no, let me take care of that for you. Or, oh, let me give this to you. Like that that maybe somehow we can overcome whatever it is that has separated us and, and it will bring newness to our relationship. Or we play the martyr and just, fine, have it your way. Or we play the victim 
and just learn to embrace the hurt. And we never know reconciliation. And it happens in relationship after relationship after relationship. With our children. With our spouses. With our neighbors. With our parents. And it makes us wonder if reconciliation is even possible. The glory of the reconciliation that Christ offers is that he works it all in himself. Notice what it says. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is truly God and as such is offended by sin and wickedness and evil deeds, who is the recipient of that hostility that we have in mind, whose holiness keeps the sinner alienated from him. This Lord Jesus Christ, who is truly God, is also truly man. And bore in his body of flesh unto death all of the penalty for all of our hostility and our unholiness and our wickedness and our guilt. And he has done it. He has opened the door. He has cleared the way. that we might be welcomed in to the joy of the Lord. This was the whole purpose of the incarnation. Not that we would have cute cards to send at a certain time of year, but that the Lord of glory might take on flesh to live a perfect life, the life that you and I could not live, actively obeying all of God's commands, fulfilling everything in the law, doing all that is right and good and holy and loving and kind and generous and just that you and I have failed to do. That when he offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross, he was a blameless sacrifice. And so the sin he took upon himself was not his own, but was the sin of his people. That in that passive obedience of Christ on the cross, dying the death that you and I deserve, the way is opened for us to live. And the joy of the Lord, no matter what. We struggle. To believe this. We struggle to embody this. We struggle to live this out. Like the, the message of reconciliation isn't God has done all of this for you. Now what are you going to do for God? The message of reconciliation is God has done this for us in Christ. And this is such glorious good news. You are encouraged to share it. With anyone who has ears to hear. 
we struggle. We struggle to live out the reality of that reconciliation. How do we do that? We minimize the wonder of it. We've done this with sophisticated heresies. We, we start to think less of what it is that Christ has done. The docetism uh, heresy would, would say, well, that Christ was, it was God, but he just had a spiritual body. Like the death that he died on the cross, it wasn't a messy, horrible, bloody, painful death. Can't imagine God enduring that. But the Apostle Paul reminds us that he did. He reconciled in his body of flesh by his death those who were once alienated from him. Or we think that Jesus is, is less than God. He was just a guy with like a special mission, like a prophet. And God just adopted him in a special way. That's the adoptionism heresy. And so it wasn't really God doing all of this. It was just a man who was trying to show us how much God loved us. But it didn't actually accomplish anything. We still need to like, get our lives straight. Or we think that, well, Jesus is just subordinate to the Father. He's all in this eternal subordination to the Son heresy that Jesus didn't really have any choice. He didn't want to do this. It wasn't because he loved us. He just kind of had to do it because that's what God said. And we forget that this was for the joy set before him, the joy of his people being in his presence. The Lord Jesus endured the cross, despised its shame. Oh, we try all sorts of sophisticated ways to explain away the wonder of what Christ did at the cross. And then we develop habits that reveal that we don't really know what reconciliation is. Because we become unforgiving. We become impatient with those around us who do hurtful things. We lack compassion. We become judgmental. And we want to take God's place, not to bring about reconciliation, but to bring about judgment and our justice. But the reconciliation that Christ gives us, that Christ works for us, that he accomplished fully and completely in himself as the true God-man, it is good news that ought to change the trajectory of our lives as Christ welcomes us in to his joy. You could and should spend the rest of your life on this earth exploring and applying the wonder of this reconciliation that Christ has worked. But, but for now, in this moment, let's just start here. And behold the glory of our Savior. Let's adore Him. Let's worship Him. Let's enjoy Him. Christ, the Lord of reconciliation. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work this new and fresh understanding of who you are and what you've done in us, O Lord that we might know the joy of gathering in your presence. 
Now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we, united with Christ, are seated with Him in the heavenly places, Lord, may we know the joy of being so connected to You that it can be said that we are there with You. Let us also look forward to that, the fullness of that joy, when we do see you face to face. May that strengthen us to live out in this world lives that proclaim the good news that in Christ we are reconciled to God. May we never grow tired of that word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.